0: The first part of today's worship service comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, and can be found on page 869 of your pew Bible. Revelation, chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was this door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So as we come to worship in just a few moments
1: for the first round of our worship, I want to draw your attention to Revelation 4 because it will guide us as we worship. Notice four things in Revelation 4. First of all, notice who we're worshiping. Revelation 4 says, I was in the spirit, I I had a vision, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And in verse 9, he offers accolades to him who sits on the throne. And verse 10, the 24 elders worship him who sits on the throne. We come together to worship God who sits on the throne. Why is this significant? If you were here last week, you realized that these churches to which the book of Revelation were written in ancient Turkey were all surrounded by cities and by a, a system that worshipped the Roman emperor as an act of political loyalty. And these churches are coming under persecution because they refuse to worship the Roman emperor. They worship God alone. They're coming under persecution, they've had their goods confiscated, some have been jailed, a few have been killed, and more will be killed. And so the author draws their attention to the true emperor, not the lunatic who rules from Rome, but the God who rules from heaven above. They come together, first of all, to worship the God seated on his throne. Secondly, notice why they worship. In the text we read in verse 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They worship God because he's eternal. He always was. Before time began, he was. He is currently the ruler of the world, and he is to come. When time ends and the world is destroyed, God will still reign. He is not like an emperor in Rome who gives way from one dynasty to another, succeeding one emperor after another. He is the one who is and was and and is to come. Notice who worships. We see in verse 4, 24 elders, 12 representing the people of God in Israel of the Old Testament. 12 representing the people of God in the New Testament. All the people of God, 24 elders stand before this throne, representing all the people of God to worship. And we join them in worship this morning. And not just 24 elders, but we read in verse 6, four living creatures, four archangels. So this morning as we worship God, the emperor of this world, we join together with the people of God through all generations. We join together with the four archangels. And finally, notice the content of their worship. Verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So this morning in our first worship set, we're going to honor God, the eternal God, the creator God. We're going to join with the 24 elders and the four archangels and worship him for his glory his honor, and his power. Please rise with me.
0: Please be seated. The next part of our scripture reading comes from Revelation, chapter 5, and as with chapter 4, it can be found on page 869 in your pew Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped.
1: So we join with the angels to worship God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. One Sunday, thousands of years ago, the Apostle John sits in jail, primitive conditions, barbaric even. And as he prays, he has a vision, and heaven is open before him. And he sees the angels praising the Father. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And as that vision continues, he then sees the Son. Chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll, who was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And there was no one who could open the scroll and find the mysteries written in it. And John began to weep that God wanted to communicate something to us, and he couldn't, because there was no one to read the scroll. One of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And John looks up to see. And he sees a lamb. Not a lion. He sees a lamb not who conquered. He sees a lamb who was slain. Standing in the center of the throne. And the angels, the 24 elders... And the four archangels sang a new song, verse 9. You are worthy, they sang to the Son, to take the scroll. You are worthy to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. We will join in a moment. We've praised the Father for His eternity. For his power and creation, we'll join together in a moment to praise the Son, the lion who conquered, as the lamb who was slain. And we praise him because he was slain to purchase us with his blood. People from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. And this not only grips our hearts. It grips the heart of John who wrote this. It grips the heart of the 24 elders and the archangels. Because notice now who worships Jesus. You remembered who worshiped the Father, the 24 elders and the four archangels. Now who worships Jesus? He's still the 24 elders, still the four archangels. But more than that, verse 11. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. You see how unexpected this is? Who worships the Father from eternity? The Creator. Who worships the Father? 24 elders and 4 archangels. Who worships the Son? 24 elders, 4 archangels. And thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. What is John's point here? Here is the true emperor, the eternal one, the creator. And here is the true son of God. Not some Roman emperor who wants to kill you, but the son of God who died for you. And they join together in worship. And notice his accolades. Remember the accolades that the father received? Power and honor and glory. But what about the Son, the Lamb who was slain? In verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and glory, but more wealth and wisdom and strength and praise. And if you came to this text without much background, you could look at Revelation 4 and say, God is the emperor. But you could look at Revelation 5 and see that Jesus is even greater than God. Because not only the 24... Elders and, and four archangels, but thousands and thousands and myriad, ten thousand times ten thousand angels praise the Son, and the Father is worthy of power and honor and glory, but the Son is worthy of power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now John's point is obviously not that that Jesus is greater than the Father, but we worship Jesus, the divine one, in no way lesser than the Father, and in one way great in our lives that the father was not the father sent the son to die the son came to die so we worship christ who shed his blood for us the lion who conquered as the lamb who was slain to purchase us for god please rise And so we have a picture of heaven where the elders and the archangels worship the Father. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We have a picture of heaven where the elders and the archangels and the thousands and tens of thousands of angels worship the Son. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now the question is, why did John, the elder, the author of Revelation, why did he give us this picture of heaven? Why did he give his first readers this picture of heaven? And, and why now at this point in his letter? You know, If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, then it's, you know, easy enough to assume, you know, you don't know what to expect. It's easy enough to assume that all this stuff is random. But when the book of Revelation starts, it starts with a problem. And then as it goes through, it looks at different dimensions of that problems and offers a solution. There's a coherence from the beginning of Revelation 1 to the end of Revelation 22. There's a coherence. So why did the author open the door to heaven here? What does it mean for them, and what did it mean for us? Now, those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks would realize, as I mentioned earlier today, that the church in Revelation was being uh, brutalized. There were seven different cities, uh, villages, towns, seven different churches, and not churches like this, little house churches. Maybe they could cram in 30 or 40 people. If the owner was wealthy, maybe 60 max. But a lot of times, only 20 or 30 people. And they're gathering together in this little house church to worship. And it's not really a house. Because most people in the ancient cities couldn't afford land. I mean, it was worse than Boston. They couldn't afford land, so they'd live in a tenement. So your fellow Christians, your friends are gathering in here to worship, and and your neighbors can hear. And these... The church had come out of Judaism, but Judaism considered Christians heretics. And so the Jews were quite happy to report Christians to the government. And a lot of the government knew anyway, your neighbors knew, and the government insisted on emperor worship, and your neighbors knew you didn't worship the emperor, that you refused to worship the emperor. And so we have documents from like 100 A.D. where Christians were being reported to the Roman government for not worshiping the emperor. So the, the Jews were willing to report them, and the, the, non, you know, the, the Roman worshipers were willing to report them for not worshiping the emperor. And so they were being harassed. They'd been faithful to God. They'd served diligently. They served until they were tired. They worked hard. They loved God. They cared for each other. They believed in God. And they're suffering. And that's not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is when they go to God in prayer and say, God, deliver us, God says... No. God says it's going to get worse before it gets better. Some have gone to jail. Some are going to die. In some cities, some have died. More are going to die. And God says, you've got to hold on until the end. And some of them were saying, this is too painful. This is costing too much. We'll believe in God, but let's go underground, let's go quiet. Let's not be so conspicuous. Let's compromise with the government. Let's compromise with our culture so that we can survive. And Revelation 2 and 3, you see, says no. You cannot compromise. Either you suffer now or you suffer for eternity. And those are the only two choices that God gives his church in Revelation 2 and 3. Suffer now, whatever comes, or suffer forever. What do you do with a God like that? Now, you know, most of us will never go through this in a year or so we're at our a year and a half from now at our missions conference and we're going to hear about somebody who did go through it we're going to have somebody come and talk to us about their life or about their god who went through this and i have one or two friends because i was a missionary for a while i have one or two friends who went through some suffering for missions most of us won't go through that but maybe as you come this morning maybe you're frustrated with some ministry that you've poured your life into and it's just not showing the results you wanted it to and you think you know Enough. I've tried. You know, we hear about burnout. Well, burnout is just often a euphemism for discouragement. I've tried and it hasn't. I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to give it up. And maybe, you know, it's not even ministry. Maybe it's just life. Now, recognize our lives are a whole lot easier than most people in the world. But still, we can't compare our lives with their lives. We don't live their lives. But we can compare our lives with what we want our lives to be. And sometimes our lives just aren't what we want. Just this week, I heard two different stories of people who went through years of discouragement and hardship and, in a sense, suffering. And you can hear stories like this every week if we tell each other our stories. And in the last month, in my extended family, there's been a dramatic case of just misery and suffering. It's really been going on for 30 years. And it's going to go on for another 30 years. What do we say to God when our ministries don't turn out the way we want? What do we say to God when our lives struggle? What do we say to God? We say, God, change this. Deliver it. And what happens if God says to us, suck it up? It's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what God had said to them. And so then... Immediately, he follows that up. The Heaven's open and he sees God on his throne. And he says, his first response to that crisis is this. There is one true emperor. Even if our circumstances don't look like it, even if we're being oppressed by the emperor here, even if we're being beaten up by life, God is still on his throne and he's still in charge. There is still hope. And then his second answer sees Jesus on the throne. The lion who conquered is the lamb who was slain. And not just randomly. Not just because of brutal religious authorities or brutal political authorities. The lamb who was slain to redeem us. You and me. And so John's first answer is God is still the emperor. God's still in control. John's second answer is this. Jesus, the son of God, died for you. Now, if he calls you to face some discouragement or some suffering or even, you know, for a few of us, maybe imprisonment or death, if the Son of God who left heaven and came and, and died for us, to redeem us, calls us to do that for him, it gets a little, quite a bit more complicated to complain about it. Jesus left us a model of sacrifice. And if he calls us to sacrifice, all we're doing is a small piece of what he did. So John shows us heaven to tell us these two things. God is still emperor. And Jesus has suffered and died for us. So he has the right to call us and suffer and die for him. But that's not really the point of Revelation 4 and 5. Those are valid conclusions. But to capture the point, why does he tell them this? Look at Revelation chapter 3.21. It's got to be one of the most startling verses in the Bible. Revelation chapter 3.21. What does he say to these people who are suffering? And he's told all of the seven churches, you must overcome. But what does he say to them 3.21? To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Notice three pieces. The father is on his throne. Jesus conquered. He overcame by dying. And he now is on the father's throne. And where will we be if we overcome if we hang on to our faith in any sort of adversity, if we love and serve God and his people no matter what circumstances we face, where will our future be? And the answer is not in heaven, joining the angels, praising the Father and the Son around the throne. The elders and the Archangels and the angels, they stand around the throne of God offering their praise. Where will we be if we overcome, if we stay with God? What does this text say? To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. If we persevere. If we stay with God. No matter what life brings us. Where will we be for eternity? Not standing around the throne of God. We will be sitting. Not standing. And we will not be around the throne of God. We will be on the throne of God. On the throne of Christ. Reigning with him. Now. Is there anything more extraordinary we hear in scripture than this? What did it take for God to be on his throne? He had to be eternal. He had to be creator and he's on that throne. And what did it take for Christ to be on that throne? He came, fought a battle on our behalf and died for us. What does it take for us to be on the throne of Christ? All we need to do is persevere for him in a small measure of the way that he persevered for us. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Let us worship this God together.